You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 66 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for March 2019. Well, I'm happy to say it is an interview show this month. I am, a few weeks ago now at this stage, I recorded a conversation with photographer and fellow podcaster Clay Daly from the Through My Lens podcast. Our topic was fairly nebulous, I think is a good word to describe it. Uh, Basically, what is photography? It's sort of the label I chose to stick onto it. Um, But the fact that it's nebulous doesn't make it any of the less interesting. I certainly had a lot of fun chatting with Clay and I, I got a lot out of the conversation. So I'm hoping that when you guys listen to it, you also get a lot out of it and you also find it an enjoyable episode. Uh, I want to thank Clay for coming on the show and also give a tip of the hat to Antonio Rosario from the Street Shots Photography Podcast and Mac from the Shuttertime Podcast because really both myself and Clay were inspired to think about this very broad topic really based on a whole, not a single recent episode, but a whole arc of recent episodes of both of those podcasts that have been grappling with some fairly fundamental questions, you know. What is photography? What isn't photography? Are certain things cheating? Are they not cheating? Is it? Does that still count as photography? Should we do that? Is it moral? Is it immoral? I mean, really big questions. And it's, you know, sometimes I like to get stuck in the weeds and look at the ins and outs of, uh, you know, levels and curves and things and, you know, what exactly an f-stop is. And, and then sometimes I like to get all philosophical. This episode is definitely on the philosophical side. But like I said, I thought it was an extremely insightful and entertaining conversation so i'm hoping you all agree anyway i'm going to stop rambling on and drop in my conversation with clay daly recorded a few weeks ago clay thank you so much for joining me for uh, a little chat about photography um i believe you have been on with us once before but it's been some time it has been so would you just like to remind the listeners, um, you know, sort of you know, paint a, a short little word picture of, you know, Clay the photographer um, and maybe just link people or just tell people about your own podcast. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, but, you know, just let them know what the name of the podcast and stuff. Yep. yep. Yes, uh, I'm Clay, a photographer who likes everything. Um and I love reading about it, talking about it, and doing photography. And my podcast is Through My Lens with Clay Daly, where I decided to delve into photography, uh, talking about my process, and maybe meeting with other people who have uh, similar interests. Yeah. Sort of taking, you know, following in your footsteps, actually. <laughs> well, actually, your show reminds me a lot of um, what uh, Mac is doing on Shuttertime and what Antonio is doing. It's, you know, actually probably more Antonio because sometimes it's you just talking, mm-hmm. um, which can be fun. And then sometimes you get other photographers on to have a, a two-way conversation, which is also fun. Um, right. So I, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying listening, actually. So um, that's also a cool name, I have to say. Um Thank you. <laughs> Thank you and so much. So what's the URL for, for people if they want to go check it out? 
so right now, I guess you could just go to cwdaily.com slash through my lens. Perfect. But if you just search, you know, in your favorite podcatcher through my, uh, through my lens with Claire Daily. Yeah, and I can, I can vouch for the fact that that works fine in Overcast because that's how I subscribed and it worked perfectly. Thank you. Um, so you and I were chatting over, over I can't remember which, we were chatting over some medium anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and we're, we both listened to the, the Shutter Time. I keep on trying to say Shutter Time with Sid and Mac, but alas, it's now just Shutter Time without Sid and with Mac, I guess. Um, right. And one of the things I love about Mac is that he has opinions and he knows how to express them, which is great because I, I love listening to people who who have something to say and who say it. I mean, I often disagree with people who have something to say, but I love listening to them all the same. And you were doing the same. And I think both of us ended up being inspired to think more deeply and perhaps not entirely agree with some of Mac's opinions. I agree. In, in fact, on your show, you did both because you had one episode where you dis- disagreed and then another episode where you clarified and said, actually, we do agree on a lot of things, and but we don't agree on everything. So, right. I mean, I've, I, I've been struggling to find a title for this show and maybe when we're finished recording, I'll have a title. So I guess when this is in people's um, podcatcher, they'll have a title. But mm-hmm. part of me thinking this actually boils down to the most fundamental question of all, what is Photography. I mean, I'm, I'm finding myself actually thinking that deeply based on the, the, the conversations on Shutter Time. Um, are you thinking as, as deeply as that or maybe you have a more concrete? No, actually, I, I do. That, that, that episode actually made me think uh, about, you know, about the whole process and about the whole, uh, you know, the, all of our medium, right? This, you know, what, what photography is and where do we draw certain lines? You know, for, yeah, for for this uh, art form. Well, I mean, do you do you want to have a go at, at at defining what photography is to you? Maybe that's maybe we should catch it and say, you know, these are just our opinions, right? So, to you, what is photography? Hmm. So, photography to me is basically uh, it's a way of of capturing the world on on a medium and putting it out out, you know, for others to see so it's sort of it's 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 sort of not quite photocopying because you can you can actually you can actually manipulate things with just the device itself right right and so um it's 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 basically uh hmm. but i mean you say manipulate things right but right i'd even go so far as to say that what we see with our eyes and what even if we even if there were no such thing as photoshop and, you know, a camera doesn't have the same dynamic range as our eye. So straight away, what the camera records isn't what your eye would have seen. So you can you can stand in a place, put your camera to your face, take a picture. And what you see in that picture isn't actually identical to what you saw as a human being. So even if you never, ever, ever edit in any way, shape, size or form, you're still not capturing reality. So it's definitely not a photocopier. Right. Exactly. You're right. You're right. So what what would your definition be of photography? Well, I think it's any sort of image made by capturing light. Mm. And I don't even think the aim has to be I, I in fact I, I strongly believe let me let me let me I'll just I'm an opinionated person too so I'll I, I, <laughs> I'll stamp down my opinion and say I don't even think the aim is to capture the world as we see it. I actually think the aim is just to capture images that we want to share for some reason. 
something moves us and we want to share it. And sometimes what moves us might be a feeling that a scene invokes or evokes. Mm-hmm. In that case, you're, you're, you know, that's your goal. And that will really change what you do, how you do it, and what you consider to be the line, right? So if I want to capture a feeling of warmth, I will take that white balance slider and I will move it to what I know to be a factually incorrect setting, right? I'll use a I'll use a grey card and I'll get my correct white balance and then in post I will intentionally slide it one way or another. I might intentionally add in some haze. I might intentionally take the sharpness slider and slide it the other way to give a sort of a more dreamy look. I may unsharpen. I might intentionally boost certain colours that I think add to the feel. Like if, if I want to capture that feeling of the 40 shades of green Ireland, I may well boost the blues and greens and pull back a bit on the reds. And I don't think that's cheating. I don't think that's lying. I don't think that's anything. I think, you know, if I'm trying to capture a mood and a feeling, I think that's me doing the art of photography perfectly. On the other hand, if I was employed by the New York Times, which is very unlikely since I'm in Ireland, but bear with me, um, and it was my job to illustrate factual news stories in a way that's informative, well, then I'm going to try my best to compensate for the camera's weaknesses and to, despite the fact that I know the camera can't perfectly capture reality, do my darndest to make it as real as I can by avoiding strong dynamic ranges so that the you know those kind of things don't matter, by not deceptively positioning myself so that I crop out something that's actually very germane to the situation. Right. They're both photography, but goodness me, are they different? Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think you know, going back to Max's uh, discussion, um, I think it's fine to have a strong feeling one way or the other about what you want for your photography. Hmm. I I get a little bit scared when we have uh, people who have been in photography for a while making people who are new to photography feel like, well, you're not welcome here with with your techniques we'll call you lazy because you have decided that um you're going to fix something in post hmm. when in fact I mean, sometimes creating an image let's say you have to you know gather the assets for uh, one of your train shots right yes you, you're 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 calculating in your mind what you're going to do hmm. you calcul- you you figure out what images you need to go ahead and then make that complete image later. Yeah. I find that the opposite of lazy. It actually lazy takes more effort because it's right. What you definitely can't do is take an image that wasn't thought out, wasn't planned, that has no spark of something that isn't well composed, that doesn't have an interesting subject. You can sit in Photoshop for 400 million hours and you're not going to get a good photograph out of it. Exactly. So, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So, right. Um, cause, yeah, it, it actually, well, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. There, the, 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 there, there are lots of photographers who, whose images are completely quote unquote fake. But at the end of the day, they all started out in a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could, I wish I was better with names. Um, he's, ah. American artist or American guy photo uh, Adobe used them quite heavily to to promote some of their early Photoshop stuff. Um, he would do these amazing. Oh, that's um. He used to be on 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 uh, on 
Twit sometimes, right? No, that's not. No. I know who you're thinking of. Also a great, okay. uh, also amazing. But no, the, the, this guy, he'd, like, you'd have photographs of like what looks like a house sitting on the stump of a tree. Mm. It, it's photo. It's all made with actual photographs, but the scenes he creates are his creation, right? The, there is no house that fits on the stump of a tree. There is no tree stump big enough to have a house sitting on top of it. But um, he nonetheless created these amazing images and he created them photographically. So to me, he's a great photographer. And to me, he's not cheating. He's an artist. Uh, and to me, I imagine he's putting in an awful, awful, awful lot of work to, to get where he's going. Right. So, yeah, I mean, something that struck me was was the idea that an image should speak for itself. So regardless of how you made the image, if you have to explain to people why it's a good photo, it's not a good photo. It's, I 100% agree with that. Yes, that is very true. So if you sit there replacing skies and you start off with a poopy photo and you replace the skies, you're not, you're very unlikely to create a great image. But if you do create a great image, then you created a great image and I actually don't care how. Right. I agree. Yeah, I think I think the I think uh, lying about, let's say you you are <laughs> capturing a house on the stump and lying and saying, well, yeah, that that house was definitely on the stump. That's the problem. But if you created a a great image with a house on a stump, and people just appreciate it for for the art piece it is, and you're not coming out and saying, well, clearly that was definitely the way <laughs> the way it's been represented then I have no problem with it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is about what you end up with. Um, so he, he, here's a question. So mm-hmm. if you present an image and you don't say anything, right? You just mm-hmm. present the image and you, you, don't, you don't give any more information. You just give the image. And that image has been manipulated in some way, either in camera in post, whatever. Is that lying in your mind? Not in my mind, no. Okay. And I would agree with you. I I would agree with you very strongly because to me, since, I mean, something that came out in my recent discussion um, with, uh, oh, why am I so bad with names when it's late in the evening? A recent show... Wait, oh, I'm going to go to my own website. Ah, Jeff Curto. Jeez, that's terrible. Oh, yeah, Jeff Curto, yes. My recent discussion with Jeff on history, the obvious thing to me was that all of the history of photography is full of people creating art first. And documentary photography is a subset of photography, which was by no means a majority. And journalistic photography is a subset of documentary photography. So it's even an even smaller set. Mm-hmm. And literally, since the very, very earliest days of photography, people were altering images for artistic effect. They, I mean, the early photographers were as much artists as anything else. And so for as long as photography has existed, people have been using it to create images. So it's right. never been true. Oh, it's funny how my brain works. Yulesman. That's the name I couldn't come oh, up with Yulesman. five minutes ago. <laughs> yes. I can't spell it or remember his first name, but it's Yulesman. Yeah. I think I, I think I do remember Yulesman. Mm. Um, I mean, his work is absolutely amazing. And again, his work predates um, Photoshop and stuff. He was, he would yeah, basically Jerry go out. Yulesman, right? What did you say? Uh, Jerry Yulesman. Yes, thank you. Perfect. Yeah. 
Still can't spell it, but you're right. Jerry Uelsman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's U-E-L-S-M-A-N-N. U-E-L-S-M-A-N-N. Uelsman. There we go. And if I stick that into Google Image Search, ah, yes, there we are. I mean, it is such amazing work. And he... It is, yes. He would say that his creative work really got going in the darkroom. So he would just go outside into the world and photograph things. And then he would come back to his studio and then he would begin to be creative. And then he would turn his things into these absolutely stunning images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, stuff like that has been going on since... They used to do um, these like tableaus where you'd have this massive big image that would tell you some sort of um, allegory, massive big allegorical image. You know, we have a guy standing in the middle deciding between the path of virtue and the path of vice. And each character in the scene would be photographically created. But at no point in time were those 50 people sitting in a massive room. You know, and th- th- this goes back over 100 years. This kind of work was already being done. Yeah. And it never, it's not going to stop. Now, we, we, can, we can try to have photographers who are true purists. That's fine. If that's, that's what your bag is, that's fine. But I don't think that we should look down upon anyone who chooses not to, uh, you know, do anything else beyond. Like, if they want to manipulate their work, that's perfectly fine. Just like with HDR, when that mm. first came out. I mean, like, a lot of times, and I've done this myself, when something new comes out, you want to push, you want to push hard to see yes. where you're comfortable, right? To see what it is that you like about it. And then you dial it back a little bit to the point where you're like, okay, this is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, you exaggerated... Know, with, with is the same thing. Mm-hmm. An exaggerated effect is easy. An obvious right. manipulation is easy. Yes. A well-crafted manipulation, is, that's tasteful, that's hard. It's very hard, yes. And if you go OTT with HDR, you you fail my does this photograph work test. Because if you show it to someone, they're not going to go, ooh, brilliant. They're going to go, mm, yeah, yeah, I've seen that filter exactly. before. Right. Whereas actually almost every train shot on my Flickr stream is an HDR. Almost all of them. And, and it is it is a tool that you, you use what works. Yeah. Like there's no if you it, it, unless you want completely black shadows or you just want you know like completely blown out skies the, the HDR is there for for you to use and the, you know the train shots that you have are, are great I, the ones I've seen are great and so you know the plane shots are those HDR as well and uh, much fewer actually because it it somehow is, it wasn't needed because I think okay. Uh, see okay so the, the reason I do a lot of HDR is because with the railway shots I'm trying to capture what it looked like. And with my eyes, I have a bigger dynamic range than my camera can pick up. And in Ireland, we're actually quite far north. We're much further north than a lot of people realise because the uh, Gulf Stream keeps us warm. But we're actually north of Moscow. So for the entire winter, we have these really long, really deep shadows you cannot avoid. They are just Mm -hmm. in your photographs. And to the human eye, they're full of detail. And when you just take your camera and you point and you press that shutter, they go black. They go inky, inky black, and they're they're not what I see. And the way I get around that is by tone mapping the RAWs. So the RAW images contain plus or minus a stop and a half of data, which is enough to apply HDR techniques. And so I'll take a single a single RAW, run that through Photomatics to recover 
the detail in those shadows because I want those textures because they were there for me here on planet Earth and I want them in my photographs. And the technique for getting them out is the HDR tool set. Uh, but the thing is, it's very, very easy to end up with ghosting and awful colors. And I actually put a lot of work then into making sure that I don't get those side effects. What I want is the texture and the detail back. What I don't want is ghosting and surreal colors. Um, because actually a big problem you get when you do, when you're using HDR to get stuff out of shadows is that the white balance in the shadows is not the same as the white balance in the sunlit areas. Mm. So what I usually end up doing is painting into the shadows a a color adjustment that just takes the blue out. So I basically paint okay. in a desaturation of the blue channel over just the shaded areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to do my best to avoid having shaded areas touch anything else blue, mm-hmm. because then then you got then then you're into this you know careful masking and having to be wasting lot not wasting spending lots and lots and lots of time. Whereas if you're careful at the shadows you know, touch off green stuff, you're fine. Because then you can just, with a, literally with a broad brush, if you'll excuse the, the terrible pun, just, you know, take that blue out where you don't want it. And then you can then you can crank the saturation up. And sort of your ideal to me is that you have the golden hour warm colours in the sunlit parts. But to do that, you need to crank the saturation up. But if you crank the saturation up, while you've still got those shadows from the other part, they're going to go really blue, not like a hint of blue. They're going to go like, you know, smurf blue. And so that's why you really have to put all this effort in. So on the one hand, what results as a picture, most people would say, that's not an HDR. And I'm like, no, it really is. And also it looks effortless, which is yeah. ironic because it it is an HDR it and it isn't effortless. <laughs> right, it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And so when people say they hate HDR, what they actually usually mean is they hate you know, OTT HDR, and they certainly hate bad HDR. Who who doesn't hate yeah. bad HDR? And some HDR, like the um, the, the stuff that uh, Trey Radcliffe does, that is obviously HDR. Mm-hmm. And you can obviously have a distaste for it, but it's definitely not bad photography. Yeah, I, I don't think so. You know, but I think I think that I think that when you have people who are sort of famous um, and using a technique they stand out more, right? And so maybe, you know, people actually are railing against him because of his visibility and the the fact that he is is using this technique pretty much on everything. I mean, it, it is what he sort of made his name on, right? Yeah, it's his, it's his look, you know. I mean, yeah, I don't exactly. think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that is how... I, I've heard him interviewed about it and basically... He f- he thought cameras were broken because what he saw in his pictures was not what he saw in the world, mm-hmm. and um, apparently he perceives the world in a very strong sort of a way. So what he's doing is trying to create what, what the way he experiences the world, and that has resulted in a very distinctive look. But I, I mean, I think it's beautiful, and his images are extremely well crafted in terms of their subject matter, composition. I mean, they're good photographs that are HDRs. It's it's not a gimmick, right? I agree. You know, when when you look at um, the, uh, people like John Paul Caponegro, I mean, he you know he loves and does great work with his manipulations, and they're they're, I mean, I you know they're art. Yes, yeah, I don't know if if you if you like his work, but it's definitely. I'm not I'm not familiar with his work, so if you spell that out for both me and the listeners, I will see, the Google image sure. search will will help yeah, me. So his la- so John. Paul and the last name is C A 
P-O-N-I-G-R-O. Probably would never have gotten there without your help. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so, you know, his work is definitely, you know, a definite manipulation. Well, it's funny and because that... he, he, like, I just had my screen on Yulesman, uh-huh. and then on the same tab, I switched over to John Paul uh, Negro. And what strikes me is that uh, the the different the biggest difference is that this is very colourful, whereas Yulesman's work is monochrome. Right. But exactly. Th- on the on the third row down on my search results, I'm seeing floating monoliths, and there was a floating yeah. monolith on the Yulesman images I was looking at, you know, <laughs> a few seconds ago. Like this is very. I'm seeing a similarity and a marked difference. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you know, uh, you know, Paul Caponegro, the, photo- the famous American photographer. That's John Paul Caponegro is his son. I did not know that. Yeah, it's extremely creative, very evocative. His use of color is actually is really strong. I mean, there's, he has an image here with just some ripples on water, but it, they go yeah. from greens to blues to reds, and it, it really is the color doing most of the speaking. But it's right. And uh, your imagination just, I mean, for me, when I look at that image, my imagination of all the sci-fi shows and movies that we watch just takes over. And yeah, I mean... You he, can't call this lazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I mean, he's obviously on planet Earth, right. but his photographs <laughs> don't look like he's on planet Earth. Right. Yeah. It, wow. I've, I've learned something new here today. This this, this I'm really liking. Um, I'm definitely going to remember this chap. I definitely need to spend some more time with his work. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll trade you one that you may not know of, but he's very much in my bailiwick. Now, the reason I want to bring him up is because this photographer doesn't manipulate in post. And yet his images are extremely manipulated. He just does it before he presses the shutter. So the chap is O. Winston Link. He's He's an American and he was active at the time when American railroads were changing from steam to diesel and he wanted to capture the end of that romantic era of steam and he would shoot in monochrome at night and he had the world's biggest strobes and he would effectively light paint life-size massive steam locomotives as they were actually doing their work right he didn't get to set the timetable these trains were coming and he would have one shot and if you pop O Winston Link into Google Image Search, you'll see some of the work he has done. So it's completely yeah. created scenes, but created is, outside of camera in, instead of... This is brilliant. So looking at this, right, we... Okay, so I see an image here where there is a strobe, a big giant strobe that lit up a tunnel that went under a train. People would probably look at that and say, well, this is over the top done HDR. <laughs> and oh, I mean, it, it kind of is, right? But he's, he's doing <laughs> yeah, the dynamic range right. with strobes, massive strobes. strobes. Yeah. Um, this is amazing. If you go to his Wikipedia page, there's a lovely image up in the top right where he's, I mean, he's really capturing the times, right? It's, it's taken in an open air, one of those drive-through cinemas, a drive-in theatre. And you have this massive steam train that's clearly been totally lit up. Like, there's no way it looked like that in person. You have the cinema screen, which is still properly visible, but some sort of war playing on, so there's some sort of war yeah. movie. In the foreground, top down, a convertible car with a couple cuddled up next to each other watching the movie. I mean, that is, what an American scene. That's beautiful. 
and utterly constructed. I mean, the dynamic range, if you were to be standing there before he pressed go on his strobes, you would have seen a completely black train. You wouldn't have seen any steam. You would have either seen the screen or the cars and the people, but there's no way you would have seen all of those three things together. That is effectively an HDR image just created in a completely different way. Wow, this stuff is amazing. I've, I'm, wow. Yeah, yeah he, definitely. He, <laughs> Never heard of this one. This guy. He, he's a hero of mine, right? Look, railways are my thing, right? And this yeah. guy, to me, if someone says to me, who captured the romance of American steam? It's O. Winston Link. No one has done it better, in my opinion. And his work is extremely distinctive. You can spot it. You, know, you can spot it a million miles away. This is definitely not lazy photography. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you find, um, sometimes you'll find pictures of him with his equipment, and like some of these, some of these strobes are just shockingly huge. And I've seen interviews with railway driver or engine drivers from the time. I mean, he wouldn't. Plan. This isn't planned. This isn't coordinated. These are just trains going about their daily business. So you imagine you're a train driver and all of a sudden these strobes go off in your face, right? I mean, he, he had a bit of a reputation for scaring the bejesus out of train drivers and things. But I mean, his images are superb. So it's a good thing that uh, trains are on tracks because I right. could imagine. Could you imagine highway? Like someone mm. you know, getting trucks on a highway? You'd be killed. Oh You'd swerve yeah, into you. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, these strobes are ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, you've just found the, those images of him standing yeah. next to his equipment. Wow. Um, not really related to his photography, but he also spent a lot of time with audio equipment trying to capture the sound of steam. So he was as much obsessed about sound as he was about the visual image. But for today's conversation, the visual image is, is, is really amazing. Uh, you know, so again, utterly unrealistic. But to me, photography as an art form, had, you know, utterly elevated to its highest level. Yeah, definitely. Wow, this is amazing. I want to go shoot a train tonight now. <laughs> Yay! I've converted one. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, the modern trains, I still find beauty in them and I, and I still love them. They're still one of my favorite muses, but a steam train is still something special. Like, they're, oh, yeah. they're so alive. It's, you know, no, no, no diesel can ever quite capture that. Yeah, wow. Brilliant. Um. So, just, you know, sort of back to where we, we start drawing our lines. So, I, I think, I get the impression we're both sort of in agreement that if you say nothing and the context doesn't imply very strongly that this is a purely straight photograph, I certainly think it's perfectly fine to create to produce a piece of art and not to explicitly say, by the way, I manipulated this image. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. And I think we're probably also both in agreement that if you present your work as journalistic or factual, so if you, and, and, you know, whether that be implicitly by its context or explicitly by saying so, at that point, you just lie on so-and-so. Right. You know, and that's, <laughs> that's no good. Well, you're speaking of of lying and or, or sort of manipulating situations. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you've been hearing about Steve McCurry's Afghan uh, Afghan girl image coming back up in discussion. I I am familiar with the image. Uh, I mean, it was one of the most striking covers of Nat Geo, and, and there's a publication that's had some striking covers. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, you just have to say the say the name, and and I I see the yellow border around the the, the the young Afghan girl with those amazing eyes. Yeah, 
Brilliant, brilliant. But I have if not I, heard any of the recent controversies, so fill me in. Yeah, so so um, I don't know if you listen to uh, Tony Northrup and Chelsea Northrup's photography podcast. Um, I, picture, that I is not on my current is. rotation. It, it may need to become so, but it's not on my rotation at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, but the last episode, Tony Northrup had a discussion about the Afghan girl and how the how that picture came about, right? The mm-hmm. sort of the sort of manipulations of how Steve McCurry got her to unveil her burqa because at the time a girl of her age would not unveil herself uh, her burqa her face for a male and even the pose for an image right and so this image this image I mean, I'm I'm off to to minds for for this right uh, for for this uh, situation. This image actually helped a lot of Af- Afghan uh, girls. Uh, it, you know, the, the, you know, this brought our awareness to that area of the world, and in a positive way, right? Because in a positive way, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the the stereotypes of Afghanistan are, you know, extremist men blowing things up and murdering people. Right, and this image humanized that country dramatically. Right, it did. Now, now, so the thing is that so- sometimes, sometimes you kind of have to do whatever it is to get awareness to something, hmm. but at the same time, there's some manipulation that happened there, and we were never told about what happened and so yeah the, the images images the image there were, basically there were two images that are striking one image where she has her face covered up um and her eyes are only appearing and then one image where he finally gets her to unveil her whole face and that's the one that made the cover right yeah. um so did, i don't know if you remember the image where she has her hands in front of her face that one that one sticks in my mind as well because you could see her striking eyes um so the thing is that manipulations happen not only in the camera they don't happen only in pose they also happen uh in a way of you know in a way of how you can get the image to appear in front of you in the first place right so there are manipulations in all parts of photography um and and this story coming up again shows us that um that just the way you frame uh, is a manipulation, right? You, you, like you said earlier, you could actually crop something out with just the zoom, you know, a, a shift of the lens, um, yeah, you know, and just capturing the situation that you feel is important. But it could be, let's say, that picture of I think it was Obama looking down at some um, some oil wreck, and he looked like he was the most troubled president ever, when in fact the image was a crop of. Uh, him standing next to two other people and it looked like a completely different story then, right? If you have everything together, it, it tells you a different story. Yeah. You know, the three of them just standing there talking about something rather than a president standing lonely looking, worried about his his Gulf Coast, you know, his Gulf uh, Coast being covered by oily uh, oily mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm looking for the link for the show notes, but there was recently um, I read an article and it was illustrated about another very famous photograph that that reminds me a lot of Afghan girl, which is migrant mother uh, Dorothea Lang's uh, dust bowl image, which again humanized that tragedy for a nation. I think 
Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that you see the photographs she took leading up to that candid, yeah. and I use the word extremely loosely, photograph. And what you see is that she's very carefully manipulating the scene. You know, mm-hmm. for, you know, she has a shot where where the kids are in there as well as the mother and the baby, and slowly but surely you see the moving towards the most powerful image of the mother, of just the mother with, with the baby not looking at the camera, and the mother not looking at the camera, and almost everything else has been removed from the scene. And so you see that it's not the candid shot it appears; it's actually extremely carefully engineered to tug at the heartstrings, and is extremely successful at doing that. Right. And sometimes you just you just you, you sometimes to get to get us to pay attention and you know us humans to pay attention mm-hmm. you just you sometimes have to you have to do this like like the, the the few suffering for the many right yeah. uh, I mean unfortunate but it is what just sometimes you have to do that for us to 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 pay attention and to do something about a, a, a dire situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do remember. I do remember that uh, that story of, uh, and I remember seeing the images. Um, I just typically oh. now the Googles are letting me down here, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw it. Um, yeah, neither do, neither do I. I remember looking at it and going, "Wow, this is this is fascinating." Because to me, it's one of those photographs that's that. I mean, there are only a handful of photographs I can give you by name and particularly by such a generic name, you know, Migrant Mother. That could be anything. No, no, it really is that one photograph by Dorothea Lange. Yes. Yeah. So again, technically we would have, yeah, I guess we would have considered these originally to be journalistic, to be factual. But yet when you scratch the surface just a tiny bit, it turns out they're not quite what they seem. Right. right. So and the petapixel... Uh, article I just posted, uh, I pasted in uh, Discord. There were some some other images that um, that sh- that would have told a different story. Um, That's I, exactly the, the, the article these, I was thinking of, right? Yes, yeah. perfect. And so I'll pop the that story in the is a, a story is a, a completely different story when you see the other images, not striking at all, and then boom, it's like this is a painting. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, you know, an awful, awful lot of work went into that quote-unquote candid photo. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's you expect that from a portrait photographer. Um, I think one of the one of the series of images that um, Jeff Curto uses in his photo history class is a, a portrait of Stravinsky, I think it is. Uh, where basically the idea is you want Stravinsky at his piano, because of course you do, it's Stravinsky. And he's almost glued to his piano but it's about 25 shots from the shoot from the original shoot where the photographer has actually hand drawn his his desired crops to try find out something that works and it's just amazing to watch him go through the motions of try it like this and then try it like this and then, oh oh hang on if we put the piano up instead of down we get a triangle okay no that's still not working what if you lean on one put one arm under your face then you make another triangle okay now we have two triangles and what if i move a little bit so that the the wall in the background the dividing line between the two walls what if it lines up exactly with the piano so now you know, and little bit and what comes out at the end is this amazing portrait but it was completely constructed even though it didn't go anywhere near photoshop Right. Now, what we what we call that picture, <laughs> a lazy picture <laughs> created by a lazy photographer? I, I certainly wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. <laughs> to me, I think it's impossible to make 
a photograph that stands on its own while being a lazy photographer. Yeah. So if we apply my rule from the very first minute of this conversation and say that if the photograph stands on its own, it's a good photograph, you know, judge a photograph by the photograph. If the photograph is good, it doesn't matter how it was made. The chances of a great photograph being lazy, I mean, it it must exist by the laws of probability, right? An infinite amount of monkeys (laughs) with a trigger finger. Actually, perfect example. The photograph actually taken by the monkey. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But there are an infinity of monkeys. One of them in the entire history of, you, of of planet Earth has taken a great photograph. One of them. That was a lazy monkey. Yeah. Great photograph. Uh, yes, it was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that, should have, that should have made it into your uh, Let's Talk Apple uh, copyright discussion. That's true, actually, because that... Oh, did that ever open up a can of worms? And I'm not sure we've quite got to the bottom of that can of worms, have yeah, we? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Does the guy who put the camera in the monkey's hand own the copyright of that image is, is actually the ultimate question. Because, of course, that thing went viral, viral, viral. Yeah. Um, and sure. the guy's like, no, no, but it's my picture. And it's like, well, actually, I think you'll find the monkey pressed the shutter. But is pressing the shutter actually what makes it a photograph? Because if you go into a studio and you plan a shot, you arrange a shot, you pose the model, you set up the lights, you get everything just the way you want it, and an assistant presses the shutter, are you not still the photographer? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there are many, many photographers do that do not touch their shutters anymore. Mm. I remember there was a, a photographer who, who creates these big uh, shuts down I forgot who the photographer was now but he shuts down all of these you know streets lets snow fall down for a while creates like some sort of tracks and then he stands across the you know the scene and tells his photographer to snap the shutter huh <laughs> so I forgot who it was now I'm really I, it was a documentary that I saw on uh, on Netflix and then I really hmm Actually, Netflix have had some some interesting photography stuff. Um, It did, yeah. What was it? Framed by Light or something? Something with Light in the title. Mm. I have to find that now. Stick that for the show notes as well. Framed by Light. Something. Tales by Light. That was it. Mm. Tales by Light. Um, it's it's a Netflix owned documentary series. Um, to some extent, you could it it, it almost reminds you uh, reminds me of you know imagine Chef's Table but for photographers. Hmm. Sounds yeah. even better, even tastier. <laughs> yeah, I love Chef's Table, and they just put out a new mini a mini series there recently, so I've been enjoying those. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Tales by Light is you basically they, they in that same documentary style, they follow a photographer and you really get into their head what they're thinking, what they're trying to achieve, how they're going about their photography. And it's a really fascinating view of all the work that goes into. And, and you know, like in Chef's Table where you end up with these amazing mouthwatering close-ups of the food. Well, you, you get you start off with the same with Tales by Light where you see these amazing images and then comes the story. Why were they driven to take these images? How much work did they go through to get these images? What are they hoping to achieve with these images? And you have people who are campaigning for the protection of sharks and campaigning for human rights and all of these amazingly noble goals and all of this amazing work they're putting into their photographs. And and then you see the final results. It's, it's a really fascinating series, actually. So definitely I'll pop that in the show yeah. notes as well, Tales by Light. There are three seasons of this? I do believe so, yes. Wow, okay. I have something to watch. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I would advise not binging them um, because they're a bit of a sensory overload. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
so I, I, I would always watch them at most one a day to really absorb them. Um, okay, good. So, so watch this and then watch some some mindless thing to clear your mind to some sort of... Um, yeah, you know, exactly. Okay. Okay. exactly. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean... I, I think you need to be careful not to not to overload yourself. Um, yeah. If you know when you're really trying to absorb something. Um, actually, I mean, there's some big names in here. Like I think uh, there's two episodes with Art Wolf. You know, I mean, Ooh. yeah, these are not always, nobodies. Always love Art Wolf. Yeah, well, he also Did had you ever his trouble. His, his series. I don't believe I have actually. I've obviously seen his photography, but I didn't know he had a, a series. Yeah, he had a series on PBS. So he, you're saying he had his troubles as well. It wasn't it Art Wolf who, who had the picture with the zebras that were duplicated oh, yes, in yes. Photoshop? Yes, yes, you're right. Yes, yes, he did. I forgot about that. And in that case, I actually think we may be falling a little bit more towards you probably should have been honest about that because actually the implication in that context, it wasn't implied this is how it actually was because it was documentary photography. Yes. So I think that, there is an case, example of, uh, I don't yeah. think it's laziness, but I do think it's dishonesty. Yeah. If for documentary and for reportage and stuff like that, yeah, I think you, if okay, because this could tell us that well, why do we have to worry about the, the about these animals? There's so many of them. When in fact the the opposite is true, and so don't add more to the scenario when in fact there aren't more. Like you can't really duplicate them unless you want to start doing genetic, you know, cloning. But you know what I mean, right? I mean. Uh, it, you know, one of the main, one of the reasons nature documentaries are so important is to remind us what we stand to lose if if we let if we let the if if we don't take care of this planet, right? And if you start lying or lying, I don't think there was any malice in what Art Wolf did. I don't think he was trying to be deceptive. I think he got a bit carried away in the early days of, of Photoshop, and I don't think the ethics had been quite worked out yet right i mean the, i think the biggest reason he got caught or he got into so much hot water was because no one quite knew how, how do we deal with this what, what is the right etiquette for using photoshop we, you know, what are the ground rules um right. you know and he he helped us to clarify our thinking on those ground rules but i'm really glad it didn't end his career or anything like that because in the modern yeah. world of social media that probably would career ending yeah unfortunately yes <laughs> well thankfully thankfully he, he went on to do much great work since yeah he's a he's a great guy I, I love i love hearing him speak and you know there's you know the same thing with john uh paul Capenegro. yeah you know people like him who were able to to give you a view behind the scenes and that's why i love things like the uh, the, you know, tales. Uh, was it tales by light? Tales by light. Yeah, yeah. I love things like that. I love the behind the scene process um, and seeing where where people are going with their with their thinking and where they end up. And and, and Art Wolf is really good at, at at doing that. Yeah, and that's a great example where the photograph on its own, the photograph does stand alone, right? So every photographer featured in this series, their their works stand alone. They do not need a caption. They are clearly great photographs. But when you get the extra information, they become even greater photographs. Yeah, yeah, and obviously more educational for for those of us who who want to, you know, absorb some of their wisdom. Um, it, it's really good to see under the hood to see how their brains work, to see what they're thinking as they're going about, you know, 
trying to collapse the infinite universe into a few photographs. I have, a, I have a question for you. So your significant other, what is their feel, their stance on stuff like this? Because you and I are photographers. How does a person, or is your significant other into photography as well? Uh, no, so I'm the only photographer in, in the household. Um, okay. So um, I would say, I'd say his view would be very much the photograph either stands for itself mm-hmm. or he's not interested okay if i go into the minutia of how much work went into creating the image utterly irrelevant right right. what matters is you know when it's printed out and when it's potentially being hung up on our wall is it worthy and the great thing is i mean look the reason i married him is because i always know where i stand he doesn't believe in beating around the bush i can get a genuinely honest answer so when he says that's beautiful Mm-hmm. He's not buttering me up. I and mean, when he says, yeah, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, but that's perfect, right? Because that way yep. I actually am getting some useful feedback from someone whose opinion I value and trust. But yeah, he, he would be completely of the mindset that the image is is it, right? So mm-hmm. I show the image, it either works or it doesn't. And if it works, it doesn't matter how it was made. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much effort went into it. Doesn't it work. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I think that most people are most people who aren't photographers, I think that's how they think about these things. Right. Hmm. And, and, and so looking at looking at or listening to us sort of going back and forth about, uh, you know, this this photographer is lazy because they're doing X. The thing is that if the picture is a good picture, the average person and we're creating work for ourselves and for well, hopefully you're, you're thinking of just a broader audience than just a bunch of other photographers, right? Um, uh, I certainly hope so, because if the only people interested in what I do are other photographers who, under, you know, who understand how much effort went into it, then I've been wasting my time. <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. And, and so I, I, think, I think that we should, we, we as photographers uh, should sort of step back and, and remember that the average person... If this if a picture speaks to them, you've 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 made it. If you have to mm. go and explain to them why something works or doesn't work, and all the hoops you had to jump through just to do this image, then you've lost already. You know you you've you, you've gotten nowhere. Uh, the, but just to be a professor of explaining how you make your image. <laughs> yeah, I I think the happiest moment in my photographic existence was when I sold one of a, a canvas print of one of my railway photographs. It happened to be an HDR, as it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it was taken in the snow during the golden hour, and it just needed that little bit of HDR to get the textures everywhere. And I, I put it into, um, so I work at a university, and there's a, a staff and student art exhibition every year where you're allowed to put in two works of any kind of art. And if you wish, you're allowed to offer them for sale and people can choose to buy them if they wish. And I sold one of my canvas prints of one of my railway shots. And I was like, okay, that makes me happy. You know, a couple of bob. Um, I didn't I didn't price it particularly high. Basically, I printed two canvases. I sold one and I made back the money I spent printing two. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I went to meet the buyer, because at the end of the exhibition, you know, I got a note saying, you've sold, you know, meet this person and, you know, exchange, you know, photograph the canvas for the money. And when I met her, she explained to me why she'd bought the photograph. 
and it was because her husband had passed away recently and he was a railway engineer. And she said, the photograph spoke to her of love of railways. And I just melted. I was like, oh my God. And I don't think anything will ever make me happier about my photography than that moment. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And she didn't give a flying monkeys that it was an HDR or that it wasn't an HDR or that it was effing cold while I was standing there in the snow taking that picture or that I put a lot of time and effort reading the timetables and estimating how long it would be from the previous station to this particular overbridge. Utterly irrelevant, utterly irrelevant. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is does the photograph stand on its own to someone who doesn't know one end of a camera from another? And if it does, it's a good photograph. And if it doesn't, it's irrelevant. That and you, that's great. I, I, that's that's what I want. I don't want someone to tell me how or look at my image and saying and tell me how did, I could improve on it next time. Just tell me you love the way it makes you feel. Yeah. It reminds you of something like you like the the buyer. It reminds you of her husband. You know that's that's a picture that will be will will be uh, appreciated. Yeah, I, I think it's probably the most loved photograph I've ever taken. It's hanging in someone's house and I hope to goodness it means you know it continues to mean something to them yeah yeah um, that's awesome yeah, and I have I've, I think I've only sold like about five or six pictures in my life but that one I'll never forget um, yeah and uh, that was a very yeah I think it might have been the second or third photograph I ever sold like it's actually no I've sold more than five or six but yeah I don't sell many because that's not my it's literally not my job um, right. <laughs> my job is IT it's very different um, much less creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, I actually think we've ended up, we had a really fun conversation, by the way. Thank you so much. But I, I'm picking up a theme. Mm-hmm. The photograph has to speak for itself. Yeah. We, we've come back to that point about five or six times now. So I think that's probably going to be the title of the episode. The photograph has to speak for itself. Um. I, I just wanted to thought that you just maybe I, I want to sneak in before we finish up. But um, mm. I, I actually you agreed with Mac about this as well. And so I just want to echo my agreement as well. But one of the dangers of people getting obsessed with these advanced techniques is that they think you have to do all of this and they end up not learning to become a good photographer because they get sucked into I have to replace all of my skies I have to do HDR I have to do these kind of things and I don't know what we do as a community to to free beginners up from all of these expectations that to some extent I think they're putting on themselves because they're misreading the community maybe but how do we make sure our community doesn't end up railroading people like that and leaves them free to to wander explore and you know, make good photographs that speak for themselves? Yes, that's a good question. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who, who direct message me and, you know, sort of responding to some of my my uh, episodes, especially responding to that episode. Um, and I, I always say to them, j- just make images that make you happy. If they fail, just keep working at it. Just keep going, and do not let uh, do not let t- t- people tell you what you shouldn't shoot or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And also, um, learn learn the rules, and then once you do learn the rules and the, the sort of basic rules, mm-hmm. break them, break them left and right. Mm-hmm. Rules of thirds, they're awesome for helping you 
tell a, a, a sort of a, a story that is, you know, it's more pleasing. That's one of my favorite, my favorite things to explain to people mm-hmm. what breaking the rules is about. Because the rule of thirds is actually a guideline for creating harmonious feeling images. Yeah. If you're trying to tell, if you're trying, if, if the, what you're trying to convey is uncomfort, disharmony, edgy, you know, a feeling of tension, mm-hmm. then what you need to do is intentionally break the rule of thirds. Not because it's a rule, but because it's a guideline for making harmonious images. And what you want is an unharmonious image. Exactly. And they're all just guidelines. And yeah. so if you're trying to achieve the opposite of what the guideline is designed to encourage, well, then you should intentionally do the opposite. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And also, uh, you know, for, for a lot of new photographers, I say um, just ride that camera till it breaks. <laughs> you know, if, if, so, if it so happens to be that your camera is not handling dynamic range, do HDR, do sky replacements. But do try your best to understand um, what you need to do uh, to, in order to, to be able to capture a sky that isn't blown out. And perhaps, uh, you know, like, you know, sometimes a, a very blocked up shadows are acceptable. <laughs> well, I was going to say there's two approaches you can take, right? If you run into a technical limitation, there's two ways you can go. You can work really hard to counteract the shortcoming, to to work around it, to find a, a way through it or beyond that. So HDR would be an example. Fill flash would be another example where you reduce the dynamic range by flashing into the shadows. Yep. Multiple exposures where you basically, you know, layer one on top of the other. Not You know, it's basically layer masking. I mean, there are ways of working to counteract the shortcoming of your device. There is the opposite approach. Lean in. So the opposite approach for the dynamic range issue is to silhouette it. Yep. Like, you know, sod it, I'm not going to get detail in both. I choose to intentionally blow the sky out, give some sort of high key shot. Or I choose to have the sky be perfectly exposed, in fact, underexposed, really. And so I know I'm going to completely black those shadows. And, you know, turn it from a bug into a feature. So, you know, you know, either fight against it or lean in. And one of those two approaches will get you around what would otherwise be a mediocre, uninteresting shot. Yep. I agree. Well, Clay, thank you very much for, for donating your time for us here for a, a fun conversation. Um, just to remind the listeners again, it's Through My Lens is the name of your podcast, available where all good podcasts are not sold. <laughs> because they're exactly. not. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't know if you may have to put with Clay Daly, just I, I don't know if it just comes up with Through My Lens. Some, sometimes it, it did for me. Um, did. But okay, that's, that's, yeah, but let's, let's just say that, yes, um, Clay Daly. So it's so the full title is Through My Lens with Clay Daly, is that it? Yep, yep. Perfect. Again, thank you very much. And, um, you know, as, as I always say to the listeners, you know, until next time, happy snapping. But basically, lots of fun with your photography. And I look forward to listening to what you do and seeing what you do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And like I said on Twitter, I don't know, a couple of days ago, this is definitely like one of my favorite podcasts, photography podcasts. And... I think a lot of people should check this out. The, the, the um, you know, the, uh, the the breakdown episodes that you do are phenomenal. I think uh, 
you sort of taken over uh, some of the photographers that I mean, you know, podcasters that have you know stopped podcasting or or have done discussions about these things, and they haven't done it you know in a while. Um, these those those episodes are great to listen to. So anyone who uh, wants to learn about photography, this is uh, where it should come. I, I'm blushing all over, so it's a good thing this is this is this is not video. Thank, thank you very much. You're, you're, you're too kind. Well, that pretty much wraps things up for another month. Um, thank you again to Clay for coming onto the show. It was a really fun episode to record, and I hope to have Clay on many more times over the coming years. Like, you know, he's such a an insightful, interesting, and fun guy to talk to. Um, so I definitely hope we get to do that again. Uh, we talked about a fair few photographers and photographs and things during the episode. So after we were done recording, we spent a couple of minutes gathering together links, um, which I have collected into show notes. And you will find those at lets-talk.ie. Now, while you happen to be there reading those show notes, you may notice there is a section in the sidebar called Support the Show. These are ways for which those of you who who are in a position to and who would like to support the show financially, there's a couple of different methods for you to do so. Uh, Just you may notice there are no advertisements on this show. This is an entirely listener-supported show, so it continues to exist for one reason and one reason only, and that reason is that you guys support what I do. So the main mechanism for keeping the lights on every month is Patreon. Um, Basically, there are monthly bills that come in and then there is monthly Patreon money that comes in and the two are getting fairly close to balancing each other out. And that's absolutely fantastic because I take the money from Patreon and I pour it into the bills. It's wonderful. So the way Patreon works is that you pledge a small dollar amount per episode released. It's one Patreon account for both Let's Talk Apple and Let's Talk Photography. So every month will be exactly two shows one photography one apple so if you'd like to support me you know with five dollars a month well then you would pledge two dollars fifty if you'd like to support me with two dollars a month you would pledge one dollar per episode because that's how it works and the great thing about patreon is that it provides a mechanism for sending small dollar amounts in such a way that it doesn't all vanish into the ether on paypal fees because while paypal which is the other option for supporting the show is really good for you know I don't want to use the word large inappropriately, but for amounts of money, $5 and above, shall we say. It's it's an efficient way of transferring a chunk of money, but not for transferring small dollar amounts, because pretty much all of it ends up going on fees to PayPal when you do that. So if you'd like to support the show as sort of a one-off donation, the PayPal button is perfect for that. And what I what that money is for, so it's not for the monthly bills, that money is for the various expenses and expenditures that come up from time to time when I need to buy new software or when I need to buy new hardware or you know, basically the, the bits and bobs that go into running a show apart from the monthly bills. So Patreon covers the monthly bills and the PayPal donation covers other expenses. And it's very helpful to me to, to have that money coming in so that I can invest in things like, say, this lovely boom arm that's currently suspending my microphone elegantly above my desk that was paid for by listener donations. Um, there are also then sort of indirect ways of supporting the show. There are affiliate links for um, DigitalOcean. They are providers of cloud-hosted VMs. If you need a VM and you use that link, the great thing is that both of us, both you and me, will get some free credit from DigitalOcean. Once your spend goes above $50, both of us get some free credit. Uh, the other link then is to the domain registrar, hover.com. 
Uh, in this case, I'm afraid you don't get anything apart from the domains you register, and that is in itself worth something. Um, but what happens is I get a small thank you from Hover for sending you their way when you spend money with Hover. Uh, neither of these links work. If you just visit them, you actually have to buy stuff before anything comes to support the show. Uh, there is also a Zazzle store. It does contain a few products. But to be honest, no one seems to be using it, so it's probably going to vanish into the ether pretty darn soon. And actually, if anyone can recommend a European equivalent of Zazzle, because I'm not particularly happy with them, actually... Uh, if I had an alternative, I'd probably put some effort into designing some new swag and putting it up there. So maybe if you could recommend an alternative to Zazzle, I'll move over there. Um, you can contact me. There's a contact button at less-talk.ie. Well, I think I've rambled on long enough. Thank you to everyone who does support the show. Um, remember that you can help out by simply tweeting about us, telling your friends, or reviewing us on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, however, the most important thing is that until next time, you... Uh, Keep on using your camera, taking photographs, being inspired, and really do lots and lots of happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. My gal pals, Elisa, Susie, and Vicky, the three geeky ladies, told me to remind you that they will release a new podcast each month. So, check them out at 3geekyladies.com or subscribe in iTunes. The Three Geeky Ladies, part of the MyMac Podcasting Network.